Everyone, this is Kathy Shimpak and Linda Bennett. I am the Crone, and I am the Queen. Welcome to the Crone and Queen's Fireside Podcast. I'm Kathy Shimpak. Together, Linda Bennett and I will muse about life and how to create more meaning and satisfaction in it. We'll reflect on the metaphysical, the physical, the spiritual, the psychological, and the holistic. Our goal is to bring light to topics considered by some to be too esoteric and make them more mainstream. As Linda is fond of saying, explore the possibilities with us. In episode two, I will be continuing my conversation with Linda Bennett on past life regressions and using hypnosis as a tool for discovery. In the Celebrant's Corner, we'll be talking about the days of honoring the dead, October 31st to November 2nd. Now we will continue the conversation that we started a while ago with Linda Bennett on past life regression. So what I want to ask you is, you know, sometimes people say to me, I have had this past life experience, but I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if it's made up or not. To me, that really doesn't matter. What's your take on that? Absolutely. I think that it's possible that someone's past life experience could be just a metaphor. The key to it is there's always a message. This is not for entertainment. This is not for, oh, I can't wait to see who I was, because what you were may not be pretty. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really more about what's the message. And that, to me, is the only reason to do the work is to learn the lessons to impact our current life it's not it's never about entertainment it's to really look at how do we develop our character how do we develop you know the different elements of our lives why we have likes of this and dislikes of that you know where some of our experiences and i don't i think you have to really look at first of all you've got to look at what your belief is around death Mm-hmm. what do you believe happens when you die? And so that whole area has to be explored. And if you believe that one life is and that's it and, and done, then you're not going to be interested in this work. Right. But if you believe that we are a soul that continually evolves, then there's a lot of good reasons to do the work to find out where you might be blocked. You know, I have seen time and time again where individuals have had experiences in past lives and they and we are able to rise above the death of that lifetime and look at what was the lesson, what was the, the purpose of that life, and how is it impacting you in your current life. And they come out of it with these amazing ahas, and it's like, 
oh, now I get it. Yeah. And so for me, it's about understanding. Right. So what kind of life do you have to have experienced in order to get that kind of message? So often people want to have the big kind of past <laughs> life, you know, where I was Queen Elizabeth or, you know, I was Charlemagne or Napoleon or whoever. You know, I did a past life experience just with somebody the other day that was this very simple lifetime. And it was a lifetime of quite a bit of isolation, uh, lived in a period of time where, you know, there would be maybe uh, somebody living in a, in a building of some kind, and there wouldn't be another one for miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. So people were isolated, and so they just were only within whoever was with them. Mm-hmm. And in that particular lifetime, this person lived a very isolated life and had really no connection whatsoever to feelings because there wasn't anything in that life to generate feelings about anything because there was an interaction with others to speak of and so had no feelings whatsoever and recognizing that in this lifetime feelings hadn't really been explored Mm. and now it was time to really stop and think about what they were feeling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was very f- fascinating. But I think that there's, you know, there's lives that are so simple but can have, you know, these huge impactive lessons. doesn't have to be that, you know, you were the Queen of England, like you said, or, or some big whatever and rule the land. You know, you could be the peasant that had an incredible experience. Right. So the simplest of lives often can be the most profound lessons. And I would say that's the majority of my clients. I don't have, you know, lots of Cleopatras and, and you know, <laughs> Ben Franklins and whoever. You know, I, I, I really don't, you know, they may be the ruler of a small tribe yeah. or something of that nature. Right. But not king of the world. Right. You know, and... I've had some people who've had connections with some famous people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but not necessarily were they the famous people. Right. But they had some, you you know, I can't tell you how many people, you know, I've worked with that were there uh, at the crucifixion Mm -hmm. and had some really quite profound experiences. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I think... Simple is quite interesting. Well, doesn't that kind of go back to the sacred contract or soul contract, too? I mean, this uh, we have an idea in the material world, we can say, that success and life should appear in a certain way. And especially in the Western world where, you know, there's this drive for success, success. I have to have this successful business. I have to have, you know, perfect relationships. I have to have a certain amount of money and possessions. And the soul contract might be quite different from that. Absolutely, you know, and I have people that come in all the time and say, I want to find out what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. And I often say, what if 
Your purpose is to love and be loved. What if that's all it is? What if it's not any bigger than that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had people look at me and kind of go, oh, okay. And some go, yeah, I get that. So for some people, that makes perfect sense. And I don't know if we get caught up in, like you said, the bigness of the world and thinking we have this big, important role to play. But what if our role also is just to make a difference in one person's life. Right. You know, that that's all it is. It doesn't have to be huge. Right. Uh, And I think a lot of people get caught up in the importance. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that's what the goal is. It's not to understand your importance. It's to understand the simple things in life. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Carolyn uh, Mace had... A similar statement one time, she talked about how, what would it be like if your role was just to be in your neighborhood and hold a certain amount of positive energy just on the street that you live in? Right. And that's it. Right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, well, that's kind of boring. And it's like, <laughs> and I suspect that we've had a few boring lives. Yes. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> and, and probably not that much going on. I can remember a lifetime where all I saw of it was that I was on a ship that was going down. Ooh. And Titanic? We were, no, it wasn't that kind of <laughs> ship. It was much before the Titanic. And it was a storm. And I'm at the wheel, the, the steering wheel mm. thing. And I'm probably, I'm a young girl, and my hair's flying in the wind. <laughs> and I'm just standing there laughing as a ship is going down. Wow. And I realize in that moment <clears throat> that I am mentally not all there. <laughs> I am, I, 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 and, I mean, this is not doing this to me. I was already very simple. Mm-hmm. And didn't have a care in the world. Mm. And just laughed and enjoyed life. And it was like... It's a great metaphor. Oh, well. (laughs) You know, down the ship went. And I was just, you know, steering the ship. Not that I was really steering. But it was like, it was no big deal. And it was like, that's all that life was. was just just that. And when I had that experience, I thought, okay, now what's the point of that? And I stepped back and I said, okay... What am I making too big of a deal of? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how could I simplify my own life experiences that it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be a tragedy? Right. It's just an experience. Right. And it's like a, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. It's incredible what these lessons can be mm-hmm. and the way that people react to them. Sometimes I've seen it with my past life clients that, you know, they have the session and they're not really sure what it means Mm -hmm. and what's going on. And then the next time I see them, they've had this great breakthrough. You know, they had a dream or they woke up or they had some kind of experience with someone and all of a sudden they have great clarity about what they were to take from that. Right. I had a a situation with a, a gentleman who was working on weight management. And he had hit a plateau. Um, he had dropped some weight. He was a rather large man. And 
but was stuck. We had been doing regular hypnosis, and we I started the session. I said, you know, ask the subconscious to take us wherever we needed to go mm-hmm. to understand what was going on. And the first thing he saw was himself as a little girl in a little pink dress <laughs> going into the kitchen. He said he was about three and asking for cookies from whoever whoever was in the kitchen. And the next thing he was aware of, he was in the Holocaust. And he could describe the bunks and the thing and saw himself. And the statement was, I will never starve again. That's all he got out of it. He came out of the session, and his eyes were as big as saucers. And I said, so what do you think? And he goes, well, first of all, I don't believe in past lives. What was that? I said, what do you think? He goes, I don't believe in past lives, but I can't question my experience. And his takeaway after we talked about it and helped him sort through it was the statement, I will never starve again. Mm. And that statement was running him. And, you know, we talked about, you know, is it real? Is it not real? Maybe he saw a movie and connected with and saw and that's where he got that idea we don't know but the bottom line was this message that he was afraid he was going to starve and when he was able to recognize that the chances of him starving in this lifetime were slim and none he let go of that need to overeat Mm. and he over the next few weeks could see that his that plateau he had hit, we'd moved beyond it, and he was letting go of the weight very naturally, and it wasn't something he had to work that hard at. He just recognized he wasn't starving anymore. Ah. So, yeah. Well, Norm Sheely, mm-hmm. Dr. Norm Sheely, often deals with people who have illnesses that they can't figure out. He's... Uh, neurologist, but nevertheless, he does more alternative kinds of things now. And people come to him who can't find a traditional medical solution. And his answer is sometimes we just need to do a past life session. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen people have medical conditions that they were able to get some answers to. I had <laughs> personal experience. Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, many, many years ago, I started to have knee problems. And someone said, oh, that's arthritis. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going down that road. I'm not getting arthritis. I, I refuse. And so, again, I worked with a peer, and I said, you know, maybe there's some herbs I can take. And she started working with me, and, and what came up all of a sudden is this past life, where I was a young man in New York. Mm, I'm going to say early 18, no, late 17, early 1800s. Um and we were gun runners. My family, my brothers and I were gun runners. Wow. And I had kind of talked about it to people I shouldn't have talked about it. <laughs> so we got caught. <laughs> and my older brother was not happy with me. So he shot me in the knee to make an example of me. Well, interesting is that brother in that lifetime was my current boss that I was having challenges with. And as soon as I had that experience, the knee problems went away and I didn't have arthritis after all. Wow. So, yeah, you never know. Yeah, yeah. You never know. It'd be interesting to take those lives and see if you can connect them with the energy that Louise Hay talks about in regards to the illness. Absolutely. 
I think yeah. that I think <clears throat> well, and I think there's a lot of uh, validity to that in the sense that so many people that have thyroid issues, you know, issues where they can't wear things close around their necks, that kind of thing, have found lifetimes where they've been strangled, beheaded, hung, all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's a fair amount of that, I think, that has been documented even. Yeah, yeah. Birthmarks, too. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, Um, especially Ian Stevenson, again, who did a lot of research with children in India and Pakistan and finding that birthmarks often indicate where there was an injury in another lifetime that was the cause of somebody's death. And they've been able to trace that, um, especially when they work with the children in India and Pakistan. What they'll do is they have somebody who talks about a past life and they work very hard to isolate them so nobody will influence Mm -hmm. the conversation. And in many cases, um, these children talk about their lives in another village where they've never been, and then they go to the village and they recognize these adult people saying, oh, you're so-and-so, and and you're so-and-so, and and you did so-and-so, and and I was killed in a car accident over here, and and, or I had this accident when I was in this other lifetime, and now I have this birthmark here. So, you know, Uh, lots of things along that line, too. Yeah. So if someone was listening to this and they were curious about how past life might help them with their current life experience... Mm What kind of ways might people go into this? There are CDs or downloads that you can get MP3s. I think you have one that's mm-hmm. so that people could listen and have that experience. You also do an exercise that I think of as being kind of like Carl Jung's active imagination mm-hmm. piece. So, mm-hmm. you know, I. I have to be very honest. I have some strong beliefs on this. So I have to be careful here. I don't want to offend anybody. I am not, even though I have my own recorded meditations for facilitating past life, I am not big on doing it that way. I feel very strongly that it needs to be facilitated with another person. I think you can take yourself, maybe if you have a lot of experience with meditation, you can take yourself down these journeys. But what happens... My experience has been that you need somebody to help facilitate so that if you get stuck or you only see your death all of a sudden, you don't work through it. Mm -hmm. And and I think somebody being there with you helps you to fully work through it and learn the lessons. And, you know, some of my past lives have been just spontaneous. And while that's interesting, it doesn't give me all the information I need. So... I'll give you an example. I had a spontaneous past life where I was a leper. Side note, um, when I was a young adult in this lifetime, I had um, skin challenges, and I used to joke that you'd think I was a leper. Mm. Of all the things I could have joked about, why did I pick that? But anyway, hence, many, many years later, I had this lifetime where I'm a leper, and... I can tell that I have lost my ability to speak. And I'm because I can't speak, I'm very, very lonely. And I, I'm a young boy. I'm probably about 20, 21. 
I literally lay down on a pile of straw and just die. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand it. And that spontaneous piece of information was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And? Right. And it wasn't until many, many years later, I actually was, something else was facilitated. And I went back to that and I understood more about what that whole experience was and what was going on. Because I didn't know that leprosy actually attacks the respiratory system. And there was a lot more to it that I didn't understand. And so when you facilitate just yourself or listen to a recording, you may only get a piece, but it kind of feels unfinished to me. So when you have somebody who's facilitating with with you, then they can help you move through it. Right. Does that make sense? Definitely. Do you think that there is a risk involved, you know, that someone might have an apreaction or, you know, a, a really emotional or difficult memory when they're listening to something like this and not be able to resolve it in a good way because of there's no one there to help? Absolutely. I think that that is a potential risk. And... At the same time, I think the potential risk is not going deep enough to get the information either. You know, you just get a little glimpse and it's like, well, what do I do with that? So, you know, I do believe very strongly in somebody facilitating the work with another person. Now, I'm also a big believer that for someone to do past life work, they first need to do some previous hypnotherapy work. Ah, me too. Yeah, I... Uh, I have uh, individuals who come to see me and they want to experience past life because they're curious. Mm -hmm. Okay. And have you ever been hypnotized? Well, no. Okay. Then I tell clients that you may need to experience a couple of hypnosis sessions before Mm -hmm. you're ready to go there. Um, Because you have to trust the process of hypnosis. Yeah. I believe to get into a good past life experience. If not, if you don't trust it, then you walk away with it and go, oh, oh well. But And if you don't understand the process of hypnosis, you can get easily caught up in, I just made that up. Yes. And then what was the point? Yes. So I, yeah, I mean, I know that people can have some amazing experiences listening to recordings and, and things I'm not going to discount that, but it's not my preferred way. Right. I would agree. <laughs> so how does how do people find qualified hypnotherapists? What do you think? It's a big question. Yeah. You know, you know um, I, I think you can look, first of all, at uh, the different associations that certify hypnotherapists like the American Council of Hypnotist Examiners, National Association of Transpersonal Hypnotherapy, the International Medical Dental Hypnosis Association, the National Guild. There's all kinds of associations out there that certify hypnotherapists. And I would say I'd look there because most of them will have a list of practitioners on their site. And, you know, I would look for somebody who has a minimum of 
200 hours of training. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some associations that you could certify somebody at just 100 hours, which that's still a good practitioner of hypnotherapy. They might not have been trained in past lives yet. And so um, associations where their requirements are that they've had more than the basics, Mm -hmm. then I think that's, I would look for that too. Right. And referrals. Absolutely. Referrals um, are the, I mean, that's all I do is I get referrals all the time. And yeah, I think referrals are the best way to build your business. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this has been fascinating, Linda. Is there anything else you'd like to share about past lives? Yeah. You know, I'm going to share a really amazing past life story. Oh, good. That um, it really, I think, supports that you work through the whole past life and understand the lesson. So I had a client who came in who, I don't, I can't, honestly, I can't remember exactly what the focus of the session was, what the intent was. But he, anyway, we ended up in this experience where she was a slave in ancient times, um, but a well, very wealthy slave, which would not be the norm of slaves to be wealthy. Her, the reason why she was wealthy is because she was a healer. She was a slave with these gifts of healing and everybody came to her. Well, they would give her jewels and gold to pay for the healing work she did. Well, she got a little greedy. And she knew that sooner or later, somebody was going to put a stop to this. And she said, she's in this experience, and all of a sudden she says, they're coming for me. I said, who? She goes, I don't know, but some guy on a big horse. Okay. So they come for her. They take her off and imprison her someplace, and she's there for a while, and she starts taking what we believe to be papyrus and writing formulas or some kind of healing instructions and gives it to this little beggar boy who comes, and he gives her food, and she gives him these messages, and off he goes with it. So this goes on for a while, and then one day she's like, I know this is it. Okay. So I said, take us to the next significant event. They're taking her out to a courtyard, and the guy on the horse is there again, the guy on the big horse, and there are these two other guards who are apologizing up and down, saying we're really sorry, and before she knows it, her head's being cut off Mm -hmm. by the, the guy on the horse with his saber. And there was a couple of interesting things that happened in this whole experience. So first of all, she did not transition. She stuck around. And she wanted to see what was going to happen to the little boy. So she never transitioned. So she was caught in that in-between mm-hmm. space, um, which can be very unpleasant for a lot of people and, and can cause some problems. What she did is she followed the little boy. He grew up to be a healer, but he did it for the right reasons. And he didn't get caught up in the greed of it. And when she saw that finally happening, she could transition then to spirit. So she's transitioning. Mm -hmm. And I said, there will be somebody there to greet you. And she starts laughing. Mm. And it's the guy on the horse. (laughs) And they're high-fiving each other Uh and, you know, elbow-bumping each other. And they're going, wasn't that a hoot? And, and, And I'm like, oh, my goodness. She's not upset. This was the contract that they agreed to, that they signed up with, and yeah. that was the role he played, and that was the role she played. So and did she know who he was? 
Um, in this lifetime, I don't recall if she was able to sort that through, but just the, the piece of recognizing, mm-hmm. here's this person that's killed you. Right. And when you transition, they're there to greet you, and you're yucking it up, laughing about it. Yeah. It just puts a whole new perspective oh, yeah. on oh, the good yeah. guy, bad guy thing. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Ooh, lots to think about. Lots to think about. Well, some future episode, we're going to talk more about sacred contracts, Mm, if you would like. I'd love that. That sounds good. Yeah. So thank you so much, Linda. Sure. Sure. Are we going to invite people to even send in questions? I would love if people would send in questions. I think that is absolutely the best. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you. This was fun. Hi, this is Kathy for the Celebrant Corner, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Festival of Samhain. We're going to look at the history of this time of year, the end of October to the beginning of November, in which we find many, many opportunities for ceremonies in both the Celtic tradition and also in the Christian tradition. And I think it's a really fascinating story and a really important time for all of us. So let's start with the oldest ceremony, and then we'll move forward a bit. And the oldest is Samhain, and that is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. There are various pronunciations, but this is the most common pronunciation. The ancient Celts lived by the cycles of the earth. So if we think about Britain and Ireland and Scotland and that whole area, long back in the Druid days, these were people who lived off the land through herding, through growing some kind of crops or gathering crops. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have technology. And so they made their lives work around the seasons of the year. And humans at that time were much more in tune with the environment and much more in tune with the animal and plant world, meaning that we we didn't see ourselves as being superior to that. We saw ourselves as being one with all of nature. And so it isn't surprising to see how much of the spirituality of that time was a nature-based spirituality. Samhain, which the word itself means summer's eve, was thought by some to be the most important ceremony of the year. It was a three-day ceremony starting somewhere between the end of October and three three days in total. Now we celebrate it beginning October 31st to November 2nd, around that time. Samhain may have marked the end of the year and the beginning of of the new Celtic year. So let's just imagine for a minute that we went back in time, way, way back, and we're part of uh, the early Celtic people, and the time of Samhain is coming, and what might we be doing? 
Well, this was the time to prepare for the dark days of winter. So any harvesting that hadn't yet been done, maybe gathering of potatoes or any kind of root crops or something, that would need to be done now. Animals that were going to be slaughtered to provide meat during this time would be done and they'd be hanging somewhere. Any type of food that will last for that coldness of winter would be done then. This was your last opportunity. And so the people were busy getting ready for that. And the the days were very short because it's in the northern northern latitude. So we're talking about very short days starting to come. And we're getting close to the shortest day in the year. So we're discovering that. And what did the people do at that time? Well, they probably gathered together as a family. They got up late. They went to bed early. Maybe they played music and sang. Maybe they told stories. But a lot of this time was time for reflection. So I want you to take note of that. What was thought to be the importance of this time was that Samhain marked the time when the veil between the living and the dead was at its thinnest. And they believed that it was possible to reconnect with deceased family and friends that you loved, and that it worked both ways, that you might find yourself in that realm during this time, and they might find their way back to you during this time. We often hear people talk about this time as being a liminal time. Between realms, it's kind of a foggy time in a way. And in many of the stories, we see characters going into a fog or climbing up to a hill and going into a mist or going into a cave or swimming in a pool and all of a sudden finding themselves in another realm. And that is what we're dealing with in this time of Samhain is this remembrance of the departed that we cared about and loved. And perhaps it was because life was short then. People didn't live as long as they do today. And the idea of death was never far from anyone's mind because it was easy to die of all kinds of things that we no longer succumb to today. A lot of legends and stories were based on battles of incredible warriors who had died in battle and needed to be honored and uh, leaders of the people and also the, the stories of our own families, all of those were treasured and kept and the names were alive. The ancient Egyptians actually believed that as long as you said the name of someone, they still lived. But as soon as we stop talking about them, they disappear from existence. And I think that's really an important thing to remember. So today, people still celebrate Samhain. It is a festival with fire, usually. There's a lot of of fire 
ceremonies in the Celtic world, usually some kind of bonfire like May Day, Beltane, there's a big bonfire. There's also a bonfire associated with Samhain. Some think that Samhain is the most important of all the ceremonies that the Celts followed. And I think it would be really interesting if that was true. In fact, at the conclusion of Samhain, it marked the end of the year and the beginning of the new year. So if you wish to celebrate Samhain, and I think it's really important to mark the seasons of the year so that we can remember the importance of nature and the environment and that we're part of that. That's a big part of my tradition. Uh, you might mark Samhain by in some manner remembering or honoring your ancestors or people that you cared about and loved who are departed. And we'll talk about different ways that might occur. Another thing that people did at this time of reflection, and if we think, okay, this is the end of the year, what kinds of things might we do with reflection? Well, on December 31st, we're looking at our lives for things we might want to change, we might want to release. Some people have a burning bowl ceremony at that time where they release things that no longer serve them. And we could also do that at this time. But in the Celtic tradition, they were more likely to bury things than they were to burn that kind of thing. And so one of the practices that you will hear people talk about is one where you come up with the items that you want to let go of, whether it's a habit or a pattern or erroneous thoughts or relationships that no longer serve you, work that no longer serves you, things that adversely affect you or impact your family, or maybe even looking at environmental things that you would like to change that you could. You can take a piece of yarn or string and make three knots in it. One knot is for each issue. And as you make the knot, you're in silence, visualizing, reflecting on it, imagining clearly every aspect of this situation that binds you into the knot, and then you would bury that, just let it rot away. And that would be a normal kind of ritual that you could do at this time. We have this pagan ceremony, and over time, the earth-based ceremonies and the earth-based traditions and religion or spirituality, however we want to phrase that, became less popular with the people, and the Christian faith came in. And what we see is that many of the Christian ceremonies occur on top of these earlier pagan ceremonies. And I think that was really a wise thing to do, because the early Christians knew that people were already engaged in ceremony at this time, and it wouldn't be that difficult to get people to remember to have a different type of ceremony. And so what we see here is clearly a continuation 
of this theme of the veil being thin and of honoring the departed and looking at this idea of death perhaps in what I think of as a, as a healthier way because there's not so much fear in this. It's more of an acceptance and a remembrance. So what we see first is the celebration of Halloween. We see a lot of death-related things in Halloween, skulls and ghosts and spooky things. So we, we could call this the secular kind of holiday. It, it began as All Hallowed Eve or All Hallowed Day, this honoring. Then from there, we move into November 1st. And November 1st is All Saints Day in the Christian Church, where we honor all of the saints. And I think it's really interesting to look at perhaps the life of a saint who might have been given the task of helping people with a particular problem. There are saints that will help you if you've lost an item. There are saints that will help to protect you. There are saints that will be with you no matter what particular issue you have. I can guarantee you if you search for saint for this issue, you would find a saint and you could learn about their story. So in many ways, it's kind of like the angels and archangels. There's an angel and an archangel for just about every kind of situation or trouble or difficulty that humans can be involved with. We see the same with saints. And I think that it's really interesting to look at those saints and read their stories, which can be very inspiring. Some of them are more like folk tales. Even if the saint was alive, the story itself got to be a bit less likely to be factually accurate. And we can actually see some of the storytelling elements in their life story. Those are really, really go way back in time. I think it's really an interesting thing. And if this calls to you, if you're somebody that likes looking at angels, I think looking, perhaps saying, you know, I'm going, I'm having this difficulty in my life now. I have a a health challenge or a work challenge. I'm going to see what saint can support me in that. And I don't think you have to become Catholic to do this or believe in the Catholic faith. I think it's just a way to connect with the higher power in a different way. You can look at that and see if calling in one of those saints at this particular time on November 1st might be a good thing for you. November 2nd, we have All Souls Day. So here is the day in the Christian church that is about the day to honor the people who died that year. So all of the Christians who have died are celebrated in that day, All Souls Day. So we see this continuation of this theme from Samhain all the way to today. Thinning of the veil, this honoring of the departed, this remembrance of the departed. 
And we even see, which I think is really interesting, the Day of the Dead, which is a Hispanic celebration, November 2nd. And what is really nice about the Day of the Dead is that there's lots of different ways to celebrate it that are, I think, enjoyable, practical, and have ritual in it that you may wish to connect with and make a part of your life. So I live in Arizona in the Southwest, and I would say that the Day of the Dead has become more popular to people who are not Hispanic, that this cultural piece has become more and more ingrained in the lives of people living in the Southwest, that they have embraced this cultural tradition. So there's a lot of different things that happens. One is the creation of an altar that has candles of saints and Our Lady of Guadalupe and food items that the deceased loved and pictures and items that they kept. And so this beautiful altar becomes a part of it. The other thing is the meal. So that day, if your father or grandfather died, you would get the family together and come and get food that the departed liked. You'd have their favorite meal. And if you stayed at home, you would set a blank seat, maybe with a shot of whiskey or whatever they loved, and you would set it all there for them. And then the family would honor What you see more often, which I really like, is this going to the cemetery and taking chairs and going to the cemetery and doing the same thing, but remembering the departed. And for that 24 hours, the belief is, you know, you might hear from Uncle Albert you might be, you know, getting messages from them. They're able to come, and so we're welcoming them back into our world. In the Day of the Dead, we see all of these wonderful images of skulls and painting, painted outfits where people are dressed as skeletons in wedding and in other types of very bright and colorful clothes. They're the sugar skulls and the marigolds and a lot of different items that in a certain way can take on a more humorous tone. But it's also about the inevitability of death and the importance to remember those who are departed so they are not forgotten. There are a lot of different things you can do You know, even if you just decide you want to get up some photographs of people who have died over the last year, or it might even be people who died well before that but had a significant impact on your life, you might want to create your own altar for them. You might want to write a letter to them about how important they are and were to you in your life. You might wish to have that family celebration. 
And you might want to use this as a time of reflection to remember that life is short. What should we let go of? And how can we begin again right now as if this was the first day of our life? And I will leave that question to you as you celebrate this wonderful and very meaningful time of year. This is the storyteller, Kathy Shimpak. For Linda Bennett, I'd like to thank you for listening. We'll meet again next month. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Simple Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. Music, Monkeys Spinning Monkeys, performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. Dot com licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. All rights reserved. Mm-hmm.